presented by The Citizen. Today's guest is Dutchess County Executive Mark Molinaro. Molinaro joined me to discuss the local response to the COVID-19 pandemic, his thoughts on the controversy surrounding the the state's handling of COVID-19 in nursing homes, and we also discussed his political future. Will he run for higher office in 2022? He addresses that question and others later in the podcast. Before I get to the interview with Molinaro, I did want to summarize the latest news involving Governor Andrew Cuomo. It has been a tumultuous period for Cuomo, for New York generally, uh, because these uh, allegations of sexual harassment, as well as the events involving uh, the nursing home, uh, the handling of nursing home data, as well as uh, a report that his administration issued last year. Uh, there has been a lot of developments with this, uh, with both of these stories, and there's a lot there to unpack. Uh, I'm going to do my best to unpack it for you. I'll start with the nursing home situation because I have talked a little bit about that on the on prior episodes. But where we stand now is that just last week, the New York Times and Wall Street Journal published separate stories about the Cuomo administration, top aides of the governor, rewriting a report that was released last summer. You may remember this. The State Department of Health put out a report about COVID-19 in nursing homes and specifically addressed this question of how a March 25th directive affected what happened in nursing homes. And and basically what this report found is that uh, it wasn't the March 25th directive. It was uh, employees at nursing homes bringing the virus into facilities. That was really the main driver of of COVID-19 outbreaks in nursing homes and this the main driver of deaths in COVID uh, in nursing homes, and that the March 25th advisory really didn't have much of an impact. Uh, there has been some dispute about that because of the, the sheer number of hospital patients who were uh, placed in the nursing homes as a result of that March 25th advisory. I believe the Associated Press reported that it was approximately 9,000. Uh, COVID-positive patients that were moved to uh, nursing homes. So this July report that was released by the State Department of Health has been the subject of some scrutiny, to say the least. Uh, And that scrutiny has been renewed with the latest reporting that the report was rewritten. Specifically, what these reports said about the July Uh, what these news stories, I should say, said about the July report is that Cuomo AIDS removed the true death toll in nursing homes. Uh, Apparently, this July, early drafts of this July report included a full count of the nursing home residents who died of COVID, including the residents who were moved to hospitals uh, where they died. This has been a problem 
really plaguing the Cuomo administration. Uh, it's been the, the subject of much criticism because for months they withheld this figure. Uh, and it wasn't until the attorney general puts out a report of her own, uh, the product of an ongoing investigation into several nursing homes, uh, that addresses this very topic, the, the withholding of certain data and the fact that the State Department of Health's count of nursing home deaths was actually below what it should have been because it didn't factor in these residents who were moved to hospitals and later died. Uh, it has since been updated. There are over 13,000 nursing home residents who have uh, died. Uh, it's either confirmed or presumed COVID deaths involving nursing home residents. Over 10,000 are confirmed deaths. These are over 10,000 nursing home residents have died of COVID, whether in the nursing facility, in the nursing home, or in a hospital. But this is, it's only recently that these numbers have, have come available. Back in July, uh, they were apparently, according to the New York Times and Washington, or, uh, Wall Street Journal, these numbers were removed. And there, the number that was included was uh, were the confirmed and presumed deaths that occurred in nursing homes. Uh, the overall tally, including those who died in hospitals, wasn't, wasn't in the report. Apparently, it was in early drafts, as I mentioned, but at some point in the process, it was removed. Uh, these stories say that it was Melissa DeRosa, the secretary of the governor, and Linda Lacewell, a longtime Cuomo aide, who removed those numbers. Uh, so this is something that, uh, big story last week, because it deals with the ongoing uh, nursing home, I don't want to say scandal, but it's it's certainly controversial. Uh, the, the policies and the way that the Cuomo administration has handled these issues uh, has certainly generated a lot of uh, criticism uh, over the last several months. Now, aside from the nursing home situation, you have the governor facing allegations of sexual harassment. And over the weekend, uh, there were some new uh, accounts. Uh, there was a former aide, who I believe now is in the Rochester area, who mentioned uh, what, what could be described as inappropriate workplace conduct. Uh, the governor uh, making various comments that at the moment she said were, you know, she didn't think much of, but, you know, later she realizes that it was inappropriate. Uh, there was also, in a separate story, uh, a reference to an incident that uh, allegedly occurred back in, I believe, 2000 in a hotel room involving the governor and a former aide of his. Uh, that's on top of the allegations that we've known about for over a week now. Uh, Lindsay Boylan, a former Cuomo aide, she was with the Cuomo administration for a few years, uh, early in, I believe, the governor's second term, uh, actually for most of his second term. And 
she she had first come out back in December. Uh, you might remember if you saw this, there were a series of tweets that were published by Boylan. She uh, said she didn't want to talk to reporters about it uh, and, and left it at that. But it did get a lot of attention at the time. Uh, it kind of subsided, though. Uh, there were obviously other things that were coming up around that time. And uh, you didn't hear about it again until about a couple weeks ago now. And Boylan published a Medium post in which she goes into further detail about what exactly she encountered in the governor's office. Uh, and there were a couple of incidents that stick out in addition to some of the text messages and emails that she shared that really back up her story about uh, the governor's apparent interest in her, uh, which... Uh, is worthy of attention. But uh, she tells one story about a, a trip on a plane. Uh, the governor, uh, using a state plane, had made the rounds uh, back in October 2017. Boylan was on the plane with him that day. Uh, they made several stops. And she remembers the governor saying, let's play strip poker. Now, what was interesting about this is that the governor's office came out and had some former aides who were on the plane uh, say that this didn't happen. They deny that that exchange happened, but that's what Boylan remembers, and that's what she shared. Uh, and it was a serious allegation that the governor was making uh, an inappropriate comment like that uh, on, on this plane. But it gets even worse. Uh, Boylan said that she had a meeting with the governor in his New York City office. Uh, she goes to leave. He stands up, positions himself between her and the door, and gives her an unwanted kiss on the lips. Uh, this is obviously a, a serious allegation because it's an unwanted advance, unwanted kiss, and uh, constitutes sexual harassment in the workplace. So then we get to uh, a second woman, Charlotte Bennett, came forward uh, two weekends ago now. Uh, there was a New York Times story published, and she uh, recalls a conversation she had with the governor in which he made uh, inappropriate, uh, in which he made inappropriate uh, comments asked her personal questions uh, to the degree that she believes, and she confirmed this uh, in an interview with CBS News last week, she believed that the governor was grooming her and that, was, and that he was making it known through his actions that he was interested in a sexual relationship with her. Uh, this made her uncomfortable. Uh, keep in mind that this happened just last year. This was during the COVID-19 pandemic. Bennett was a, an executive assistant in the governor's office. She was eventually moved. Uh, she has since left uh, state government employment, but uh, serious allegations nonetheless. After Bennett came forward, there was another woman who came forward, uh, another New York Times story that came out. And the story here was that she was at a wedding back in 2019. It was actually the wedding of 
uh, Gareth Rhodes, who has been uh, one of the governor's top aides during the pandemic. Uh, you, if you've watched any of the briefings, chances are you've seen Gareth Rhodes uh, answer some questions, especially about numbers, uh, vaccinations, tests, that kind of thing. So anyway, at this wedding, uh, this woman says, uh, Anna Rausch is her name, I believe. Uh, she says that the governor approaches her, puts his hand on her bare back because she was wearing a dress that uh, I guess part of her back was exposed. Uh, and then, uh, you know, makes an unwanted advance, asks if he can kiss her. And there's actually a photo of the governor holding with both hands uh, her face uh, and, you know, it's caught on camera and ran with the story. So then, you know, I, I mentioned the other allegations that have come forward. So the governor is facing serious allegations here. There are calls for him to resign. Actually, both uh, legislative leaders uh, appear to be in the same camp on this. Uh, uh, State Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins has come out and said that the governor should resign. Uh, there was an Associated Press report that came out saying that uh, the governor had a conversation with Stuart Cousins. This, this apparently was before she released her statement. And basically the comment that he made to her was that he wasn't going to resign and that if he, if uh, she wanted him gone, then uh, they would have to impeach him, uh, that he's not going to step down. I will say that on Sunday, the governor had a phone call with reporters uh, in a word, he was defiant. Uh, he made it clear that he wasn't going to resign just because of allegations against him. Uh, he wants people to wait for the completion of an investigation uh, by the Attorney General's office. Actually, the Attorney General's office is overseeing the investigation. A law firm will uh, handle the investigative duties. They'll be deputized as, uh, uh, within the Attorney General's office. Uh, to do this, but uh, Cuomo's message on Sunday was essentially, he's not going anywhere. He's not going to resign uh, just because there's allegations, and apparently it doesn't matter how many uh, women come forth with allegations against him, he's not going anywhere. He is not going to resign, uh, and he's basically daring the state legislature if they feel that he should be gone, which there's a growing number of state lawmakers who have called for his resignation, not just on the Republican side, by the way, but certainly a good number of Democrats. Uh, joining Stuart Cousins yesterday was uh, State Senator Rachel May, a Syracuse Democrat. She was among those calling for uh, the governor's resignation. Uh, so basically what he's saying is that if you want me gone, impeach me. And uh, that would be a quite a thing, but it's hard to see where this goes from here because of where the state legislative leaders stand. Uh, obviously, uh, Cuomo has his own position. He wants to keep going with this. Uh, he's not going to resign. Uh, but this is happening in the midst of budget season. Uh, we're a few weeks away from kind of the unofficial deadline to get a state budget done because the fiscal year, the new fiscal year starts April 1st. Uh, and so a lot of 
questions about, okay, uh, this is obviously a divisive time because of the allegations against the governor. Can these budget negotiations go forward? Uh, because the legislature has to work with the governor uh, on this budget. So a lot of questions about that. A lot of questions about the allegations against the governor, of course. Uh, and this is just a massive story, uh, not just uh, here in New York, but uh, if you turn on CNN, you know, really any of the national networks, uh, chances are you'll see something about this. Um, on CNN yesterday, I think in two different news broadcasts uh, that I saw, I didn't see how they reported this all day, but I did see these two uh, particular newscasts. Uh, they had segments about the allegations against Cuomo. Uh, so this is a significant story. Uh, it's not going to let up anytime soon, and it'll be interesting to see what happens during this budget process because uh, Cuomo was adamant about staying around, and obviously uh, Stuart Cousins, uh, I will say Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty. I think it's been overlooked a little bit that really he shares the same sentiment as Stuart Cousins. Uh, he may not have used the words resign in his statement, uh, but certainly his, his thought uh, is in line with Stuart Cousins on this, that uh, the governor at this point is a distraction and it's uh, difficult to really uh, move forward with anything. And I don't think that's an accident to mention it now because they are in the midst of the budget process and, um, you know, the governor is obviously dealing with some things. So how will that affect their ability to get a budget done? Uh, and it's a legitimate, legitimate question. So a lot happening in New York right now. Uh, the nursing home story, I, I do want to say this before I get to the interview with Mark Molinaro. You know, I the you kind of have I don't want to say competing stories, but you have these kind of parallel stories, and they both involve Cuomo. You have nursing homes and sexual harassment allegations. And depending on which story is getting attention on a particular day, you know, last week at one point it was the nursing homes. Over the weekend, the sexual harassment allegations uh, uh, picked up again because there were new allegations made. You know, uh, depending on which one's getting attention, there's people who will say, well, don't ignore this. I want to make it clear that from a journalistic perspective, we're not going to ignore anything here. We're trying to cover both of these stories, among other stories. You know, there's a, there's a tendency from some who, you know, really aren't familiar with what we do, or they, they are and they just like being critical, that uh, we can't walk and chew gum and play on our phone and, you know, do multiple other things at once, uh, which ignores how we do our jobs on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, we do this all the time, folks. Uh, we, we have to cover a lot of different stories in the course of a day, in the course of a week. Uh, you know, in addition to following the events surrounding Cuomo, you know, I'm focused on uh, what's going on with COVID and vaccinations? I'm focused on what's going in Washington, going on in Washington with the COVID relief bill. Uh, that's just to name a couple of other things I'm covering. So this notion that we can't 
follow mul multiple stories and highlight the importance of multiple stories. You know, I get that people, you know, have attached themselves to, you know, one story or another for various reasons. But I think it's important to recognize that we're not going to ignore any aspect of this. We are going to cover it. It's just, you know, some days there's going to be one story that uh, gets a little bit more attention than the other. Uh, and I think you'll see this kind of go up and down uh, as these stories develop and as new developments emerge. So just wanted to include that. Uh, so I'll get to the interview with Dutchess County Executive Mark Molinero. Uh, important to note that this interview happened before uh, all these recent events came up in the last couple of weeks. I think we actually recorded this interview uh, before Lindsey Boylan came forward, uh, before obviously the, the New York Times and Wall Street Journal reports on the rewriting of the nursing home uh, report put out by the state last year. Uh, and of course, the, the allegations that came out over the weekend. So if you're wondering why those aren't addressed in this interview, it's because we recorded this actually some time ago. Uh, so just wanted to make that clear at the outset. So here is the interview with Dutchess County Executive Mark Molinero. Mark, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Happy to be back with you. Yeah, it's yeah. Been a so, while. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, so let's start, um, you know, first, my condolences to you. I, I know, you know, the the situation with COVID, uh, you know, as a government official, you've, you've dealt with it, but also, you know, the, the personal loss, obviously your, your dad passed away last year. Uh, I, I, I lost track of the timeline. I, you know, can't believe it was in April of last year. So, uh, yeah. you know, uh, sorry that you had to deal with this from all angles, including the the, wow. the personal loss, of course. I appreciate that. I, I this is what I, I I believe. Um, you know, my my loss is sad, saddening certainly. But there are a lot of people who have lost a lot uh, and have really struggled a lot harder than than I have. Um, you know, I, I I tell the story that you know I had I had actually just prayed for for five more minutes with my father, uh, and at one fifty nine on the day uh, that he passed, uh, uh, the nurse uh, handed the phone to him. He was un unconscious at the time. Uh, and I spoke to him, and at 2:04 p.m. he passed. And so, you know, I feel a, a sense of of comfort that the very least uh, we got those five minutes together. And um, you know, and and maybe for for me that was five minutes that maybe other families just didn't get to to have. So I feel grateful for that. The other reality, and I've said this many times, uh, with a bit of a, a sigh, which is I, we just haven't had much time to have it sit in. I, you know, I I'm in some ways. You know, we've been consumed for 12 months, and, and understandably so, and rightfully so, and that's the job, but it just hasn't had, I haven't had, you know, sort of free moment to kind of, you know, let it sink in. So I'm, I'm worried about that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Um, as a local government, government official dealing with this, uh, how challenging has this been? Because obviously there's the health crisis, there's the economic impact of this you know, how, you know, all consuming has this been, you know, as, as a county executive uh, to respond to for the last several months? Yeah, I mean, so I think, well, let's, I mean, I, I think it's important to recognize, and I know you know this, in New York, county governments are the arm of action for the State Department of Health. In a public health crisis, it is uh, the, the county health department that responds. And, and so in some states, the local health department is, is merely a state agency that functions locally. In New York, it's a county government. 
And so from the very beginning, even prior to uh, COVID uh, you know, landing in America, and, and let me say that, that we were watching it come from Europe and from Asia. We knew uh, where the cases were coming. We, we saw that there was impact on the West Coast because of uh, the Asian connection. And, and then we saw the impact on the East Coast because of the European connection. So we, we were engaged county health departments early on. Um, but you know, you're right, listen, these last 12 months have been something um, un unlike anything other. Uh, you know, we, we have a, a public health crisis, uh, um, uh, civil unrest, political turmoil. Uh, we had some severe weather conditions, and, and, I, and I joked uh, the other day that there was even a, a weather warning in Florida that lizards were falling from trees. So we've had it all. I mean, you know, we've experienced just about everything. And, and anytime I meet somebody who says, well, how much worse can it get? I strike them from my community. They're no longer allowed to speak. Because <laughs> we don't want to know how much worse it can get. But <clears throat> here's the thing. There, there, we had a little bit of a roadmap because county governments required to have pandemic response plans. We're required to have the vaccine distribution plans. We're required to be prepared for that. We prepare for it. Um, but there really was no true uh, panic here. And, and a lot of what we needed to do early on, uh, we were you know, sort of creating as we went along. But what I can tell you across the counties in New York, never before, and hopefully from now on, uh, the county governments work together uh, like uh, in, in true partnership, Republican, Democrat, upstate, downstate, big, small, uh, all working in a very cohesive and, and, and collaborative way. In Dutchess County, you know, we work hand in hand with our supervisors and mayors, uh, and we really we engaged early on in preparing, we, we engaged in the monitoring, the testing, we got the test sites up and running, we, we responded, um, uh, the Hudson Valley counties actually acted before the state did to, to, to close schools, to take some of those initial mitigation steps that we thought were necessary. Uh, and we've been very much a part of the rebuilding. Uh, you know, I'm sure we'll get to it. I and mean, we obviously we have our concerns and complaints, uh, but um, you know, the last 12 months have been un unlike anything else. But just as I just said to you about my own personal experience, the challenges facing government are nothing, nothing compared to the challenges that families who still have loved ones in nursing homes and can't see them uh, face, those with disabilities face, small businesses that invested their whole hopes and dreams in a community in their in their in this uh, in this establishment. Uh, so what we've had to experience financial challenges, economic uh, challenges, pandemic response is is not is not worse uh, than what what average ordinary small business owners, farmers, and families have had to face. <clears throat> to, to shift to the news of the moment with the state government. Uh, what's your reaction to how this has unfolded with not only the nursing home uh, data, because that was a months long struggle to get that, but also, um, you know, specifically with state government and the Cuomo administration, how they handled the situation unfolding in nursing homes. There's been a lot of criticism of this, of course. Uh, what's your take on it based on what you've seen, uh, not only in Dutchess, but, but really across the state? So I'll say this, um, the governor of the state of New York is no longer fit uh, to hold office and should resign. Um, I, you, 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 so, so I'll say that. But when you look back at what occurred, you know this, this, this policy to put those with uh, COVID, a, an infectious virus we knew nothing, we knew little about, into the most vulnerable population uh, was, was wrong. It was heart-wrenchingly wrong. And, and, and I don't know that the governor and the state intended uh, to be so horrifically wrong, but you have to ask yourself, why didn't they know it then or say, or someone ask, why was it necessary? It's not as if the state didn't have options. 
And so, so first you have to ask, who wrote the policy? Uh, and, and likely we know. We know that it was probably one political interest. Now, understandably so, they're representing the hospitals and the hospitals had concern about space. But no one, no other voice was given the same seat at the table. And we know this. This governor makes decisions based on who has access to the table at that moment. And so there was there were people at access. They wrote a policy. Uh, second, there were options. You had you had the USS Comfort, you had the Javits Center. You had alternatives that you could say, let's take those that are less severe from the hospital setting and put them in these alternate care facilities. Counties like mine prepared for that. Now, we were fortunate we never had to use it, but in New York City, they, they could have. And for nursing home patients, there could have been this transition in and then slow transition out to, 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 to alternate care facilities. And then once they knew it was wrong, they hid, the, they hid the, the, the data. And they knew that they hid that data. Melissa DeRosa acknowledges that they didn't release that data. And that data, uh, uh, Robert, was, was used to manipulate uh, decisions. It was used to force public policy, and 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 you know this as well. They they kept reopening activity closed based on a hospital death metrics, knowing full well that fifteen thousand, perhaps right, uh, or some some fifteen thousand less than that, were were individuals who passed sadly in a hospital, but but were were were, were taken from a nursing home and then suddenly passed in that hospital, right? So we knew that they knew that the manipulated information, manipulated data was being used to drive decisions. And then they decided consciously that they wouldn't, they wouldn't share that information. They stonewalled, they, 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 they blocked it, covered it up. Uh, only for the attorney general to kind of point to it. Her report is, is pretty damning in and of itself. For the governor's secretary, chief of staff, to basically acknowledge that they made a choice, a political choice, not to share that information. And then at the same time, they ridiculed and demeaned families. Remember, uh, the governor's office called them a death cult, uh, called uh, uh, Janice Dean a, just a weather woman. Um, I don't care what their professions are, they lost loved ones. And what they needed in March of last year, in April of last year, was a remorseful governor, a human being who stood before New York and simply said, we made a misstep, that we are so regretful, so filled with remorse, that we will do everything in our power to assist and support families and, and will be transparent. But instead they, they did the exact opposite only to, eh, to now take this to the next step, uh, which is just outright bullying and attack uh, against elected officials and public, uh, you know, individuals in the public who, who dare to criticize. And it's just not right. It just isn't, just is, it's just a, it's a horrific, horrific thing uh, and, and needs, to, needs to come to an end. Beyond, uh, uh, obviously you, you called for uh, the governor's resignation, but there, does there need to be a, an investigation, specifically yeah. a federal investigation yes. into all of this? Yeah, and, and I'll say this, um, um, I'm, 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 I'm deeply concerned that right now in the federal level, only one party is speaking, and I understand it, I get it, and by the way, I understand, you look back in the whole thing and say, well, you guys didn't do this, we're not going to do that. It's all, it's all, it's all immaterial. 15,000 New Yorkers died 8,000 sick individuals were ordered back into nursing homes by the, by the state of New York. The data was covered up. It was manipulated. And, and policies were made based on either a manipulated, knowingly, intentionally manipulated information or the lack of information altogether. Yes, there needs to be a federal investigation. Yes, the FBI and the assistant attorney uh, generals in, in uh, excuse me, uh, in, uh, in Brooklyn, great. 
great step, but there, there needs to be a federal investigation. And it really is now on Democratic leadership in Washington. Now, now my congressman, you know, it said, uh, well, this is just bad and there needs to be something. You know, that's great. Uh, words are wonderful. Um, but, but we are so beyond that. We are at a point now where Republicans and Democrats have to join together. And just as, you know, they're talking, and rightfully so, is a full investigation as to the January 6th uh, attacks in, in, on the Capitol, that, there's bipartisan seemingly support for that, and, and that's, that's important. There needs to be uh, a, a true uh, unearthing and, and, and investigation of what occurred in New York so that it never happens again. And so I'm going to ramble on just a little bit longer and say to you that what, I mean, what occurred was certainly horrific, the loss of life. But what continues to occur is that our loved ones who live in nursing homes, and I will tell you, our loved ones who live in congregate care facilities with developmental disabilities, they weren't simply treated as afterthoughts. They were treated as targets. There were decisions made not to send PPE to certain locations. There were decisions made not to test staff and to test patients. There are decisions made today not to direct vaccines to those populations. Their rights, their human rights are being violated. And so if I do nothing else in my life, um, I want the last 12 months to have taught us that those who are most helpless, those with disabilities, those who are frail and living outside of the care of our home, if they don't have government on their side, then, then, then government has failed and, and we failed them. Government failed them. And so we cannot allow that to happen ever again. And, and, and that is why everyone needs to, uh, needs to get, get on board, conduct the, the, a true investigation so that, so that individuals can be held accountable. And we don't, we don't establish policy that ever again strips away the rights uh, of these individuals. I'll close with a, a couple of questions for you. Rapid fire. Uh, yeah, one is, uh, one is about uh, the budget budget situation. You know, I, I know that there have been calls for state and local government aid from the, the federal government, but obviously uh, dealing with the state budget situation as well, that if we don't get certain money, they're saying that, you know, maybe there's gonna be cuts here or there, whatever. Uh, how does that affect uh, Dutchess County uh, and other local governments? You, you have your, your finger on the pulse, so to speak. So you know what's happening here. Uh, how would that affect yeah. local governments? I mean, in fairness, we've, we've dealt with worse state budgets. Uh, of course, it is, uh, it is built on a, on, a, on a prayer that the federal government delivers state and local aid. We're grateful to Senator Schumer, who's been steadfast in his support for, for local aid coming to local governments. Um, so federal assistance is necessary. There's no question you can't leave your local government partners out on the limb uh, and isolated. So we need, we need Washington to do that. But, um, you know, Albany needs to take stock of its own expenses, too. I mean, the governor doesn't talk a lot about making real constructive uh, uh, savings and, and efficiencies. We did that. County governments did that. We, we tied their belts. We identified ways to be more creative. Uh, and we're going to weather the storm. My county could not have been stronger financially coming into this crisis. Highest bond rating many county in the state, uh, significant rate reserve accounts. Uh, and we've weathered this storm. Uh, we did lose revenue and we did have lots of things get unearthed uh, and we're hopeful state and the state doesn't take more away from us. Uh, but, but as of now, the only thing we'd hope is that the state would pause uh, this uh, distressed hospital fund. Uh, first time ever, state of New York's taking local sales tax revenue and directing it to private institutions, many of which are not in counties uh, uh, upstate. Uh, and so we're asking for that pause. But beyond that, we'd, we'd like to be held harmless. And this budget is close to that, close to that, assuming they get some federal aid. But Albany has to take responsibility for its, uh, its, its lack of inefficiency and, 
can't shift the burden onto, onto local taxpayers. I'll leave you with this. Uh, you, you ran for governor in 2018. Uh, there is another gubernatorial election coming up next year. Uh, are you considering another run uh, for, for governor uh, next year? I am. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell you very candidly, um, you know, I, I, right now um, I, I do have this responsibility and it's an important one. And I don't, I, you know, as we get closer to vaccines being more distributed, um, I'll, I'll tell you that's, that's the appropriate time to start thinking about the future of politics. Once, once we've kind of gotten through to, toward the light at this, uh, that's been through this dark tunnel, I'll also be candid. I'm, I'm definitely considering uh, uh, potentially uh, a congressional run. And, and the reason I say those things is, is only because what I've learned these last 12 months is that we need competency. And, and I've always thought this, um, but it's, it's not a sexy thing to talk about. These last 12 months have made it perfectly clear that we've had a lot of talk from a lot of politicians. We've had bullies, uh, we've had tyrants, uh, we've had lazy folks who, who don't necessarily wanna do much more than collect their government paycheck uh, as elected officials. Um, I, I just think that we need real competence, real compassion, and real serious people uh, who, who, who will help us learn from what we've experienced but also ask the question, what's next? How do we do, how, how do we take on this challenge uh, that we have? How do we confront the opportunities ahead of us? What do we do next? And what we do next will define us. I can think of another leader who always asks the question, what's next? I knew you'd appreciate that. <laughs> Very nice. Mark Molinaro, the County Executive in Dutchess County. Mark, uh, thanks, thanks as always for joining me on the pod. Happy to be with you. Thank you to Mark Molinaro, the Dutchess County Executive, for joining me on the podcast. It was great to have Molinaro on to get the perspective of a local government official in responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, I will have another podcast later this week. That podcast will feature two guests, Justin Wilcox of Unshackle Upstate and Joe Wazinski, who's the head of the New York State County Highway Superintendents Association. So until then, thanks so much for listening.